John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 173.2K0527, certificate number 28287. The Cago. Your life is your caste, your caste is your life. At 26, I came to America, where people know only skin color. Only in talking to some friends I met here did I realize that my stories, my family stories, are not stories of shame. I think it's pretty common for people to imagine, as we've discussed before, that they, at some distant point, were descended from royalty or somebody interesting, maybe reincarnated from Cleopatra's handmaiden. All Americans have to think they're uh, one Cherokee ancestor. Right. My wife, was I telling you this? My wife's family was very invested in this idea. And then they did 23andMe and found out they are precisely 0.000%. They have American. no Cherokee ancestors. They had that great white hope of having <laughs> one cool Cherokee ancestor. Something interesting about them. Yanked away from them. <laughs> but it's also, I think, just as common to have some uh, family lore about how you came from a persecuted minority or maybe not even family lore, but everybody's got a story about how they, uh, in America especially, escaped from persecution and came to America at some point in their past. Sure. Part of the whole Mayflower thing is not even we're old money or we're OG. It really is like, you know, we, we got away from, yeah. from our oppressors. We're a hard scrabble, a fugitive fleet who are, who are uh, on a one-way trip. And nobody is more a fugitive fleet than the Mormons. I mean, this is very deep right. to American Mormon identity that we were, Missouri tried to exterminate us. And then, you know, basically every state hated Mormons and kicked them out. You had a, you had And a, at some point it's like, you know, if one person thinks you're a jerk, wait, how does this go? <laughs> <laughs> if one state kicks you out, okay. But once every state kicks you out, you know, you might want to take a long look in the mirror. <laughs> you had your own trail of tears, didn't you? I mean, uh, the Mormons had a like a diaspora that involved a lot of people dropping dead by the side of the trail. I am not going to appropriate the trail of tears, no, but of yeah, you know, the, the pioneers heading you west. A, you had a trail of sobs or of, <laughs> of quiet weeping. Trail of uh, root beer or whatever approved Mormon <laughs> beverages there are. Uh, yeah, like lots of, you know, it was a long trip to Utah and many of those trips were inadvisedly taken too late in the season. So lots of families buried kids on the way. Well, it's, 
it isn't just an American story, of course. Every Everyone, I think, can, without too much trouble, look back into their past and find a time when they were being oppressed, either by the English or by the royal family of somewhere or by an invading army. Well, sure. It's because if you, you don't have to go back very far before you get to a point where 99% of humans were oppressed in mm-hmm. some way. You know, if there's, if there's a small group of landed aristocrats doing all the oppressing, then pretty likely you're going to have somebody with a beef in your family tree. Right. Or someone who never got a beef. <laughs> right. That's how oppressed someone they were. Someone who was beefless. <laughs> someone who would just see a cow and lick their lips <laughs> And then go home and just eat big handfuls of sorghum and dirt. Yeah. But there are populations of people on earth who really have been historically disenfranchised and oppressed, like specifically intentionally kept down by their neighbors, by their neighboring communities. And maybe most famously, the Jews always struggled in Europe and um, sort of uh, Asia Minor but also gypsies and gypsies. Irish travelers and lots of places had their own unwelcome itinerants with different beliefs and maybe different ethnicity. Right. Uh, all those groups that you're describing are, as you say, itinerants, right? They are not landed in their place, but they are nomadic. Yeah. You know, the, one of the arguments about against the Jews was that they were a homeless tribe, and that's also true of the gypsies, and it's one of the reasons. Even even though there were Jewish families that lived in Poland for 600 years, they were still not Polish, right? Not rooted in this kind of blood and soil idea. I guess it just makes the excuse easier, the fiction that it's somehow okay for you to kick them out of their village or start a pogrom or whatever, because, yeah, they're not as Polish as us. Yeah, they're not from here. And and they maintain a separate culture, a separate language, a separate religion. This is true of the Romani people, too. They have their own music, their Very own... Very distinctive culture, yeah. Extremely distinctive. And they keep themselves apart. But there are other instances in human life where there are populations of people who are discriminated against as though they were outsiders, but they are completely embedded in, they are a subset of the local population. And most famously, uh, I think to us are the, the Dalit or untouchables in India Uh who are as Indian as anyone, but relegated to this class status, but one that's an accident of birth, right? There's no movement between the castes in, in the traditional Indian system. They just just had the wrong Grandparents. Yeah. You're people. forbidden from from marrying an untouchable if you're not a member of that caste. You know, there's no caste mobility, presumably. Although maybe in the higher castes, like a Brahmin could conceivably marry a whatever the next uh, life scout or yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is. It goes Brahmin, <laughs> life, star, <laughs> tenderfoot. tenderfoot, untouchable. And the untouchables are also very connected to a certain kind of work. So you're not only born into the caste, but that caste is only allowed to do certain kinds of work. You have to work at the garbage dump. Right. Or as a toilet cleaner, or there, there are certain jobs and a lot of jobs that you're excluded from. And that's the most famous and kind of shocking example to us, you know, in Europe and in the Americas, the idea that you could have, that you could be born a slave. And it goes against our idea that anyone can pull them, you know, which is kind of a fiction anyway, but the idea that anyone could pull themselves up in, in our more enlightened system. Well, we have a class system too, but it's, 
largely economic or, um, I mean, yeah, education based maybe. Right. So you could, if your great grandfather was a hard scrabble gambler or miner, but made enough money, he could send his kids to good schools. And after three generations, the tarnish of your humble beginnings would be sort of washed away by cash and refinement. <laughs> At least you'd be, you'd be new money for a while. <laughs> Right, new money for a while until your sweaters got enough holes in them, until your Volvo was rusted enough <laughs> that, that you were perceived to be a part of the gentry. That's a business idea, selling respectable luxury goods, but the, you're kind of pre-aged. Yeah, you know, you a, just, a, a guy you just, just rubbing a Volvo with steel wool. You just described Ralph Lauren. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Call uh, back to the preppy episode. But Europe has its own homegrown version of this. And it's a little known and little understood group called the Cago. Cago. Did you know that in Spanish, Cago means he pooped? He pooped? Yeah. Cago. I'm sure it's a coincidence. He pooped. I don't they're think not, it is. They're, you think they're all descended from one Spaniard <laughs> who had a really unfortunate incident in uh, in uh, middle school? No, I think that maybe it might go the other way, that Cago oh, became he pooped as a, it's a slur. Because the Cago are... They are from a region there in the Pyrenees Mountains in southern and southwestern France and northern Spain, kind of a remoter part of Europe. The Pyrenees are tall and inaccessible mountains and have long formed a border, a geographical border between Spain and all of its political and religious tension and I guess what we would call Roman Gaul mm -hmm. uh, in France. But in this region, this population of people, the Cago, who are local, endemic to the region, practicing the same Catholic religion and speaking the same uh, regional dialect. Oh, so not like the Basques who have their own language. Not a separate population at all. And they, they are living in an area that is very much Basque country. Right, we think of this same area, western, uh, southwestern France, northern Spain, the Pyrenees, as being Basque country, and the Basque are an indigenous people to the region, as far as anyone can tell. Again, another uh, difficult to trace culture, but the Basques go back to 100 BC. Uh, there are coins they find in the dirt that have Basque inscriptions. Wow, they speak a language unrelated to any Indo-European language, and are thought to be remnants maybe of the original Celtic people, the, uh, the Aquitaines, the Vascones who lived there pre-Roman contact. And because the territory is so rugged, those it's mountains really are so rugged. Isolated terrain. They, they, maybe they prefer to keep to themselves. Right. There. And easy to defend. And, and, it's, and it's difficult to really introduce agriculture into those mountains. So they tend to be herders and fishermen. But the Cago are not... Basques, nor related to them. Hmm. They're genetically indistinguishable from the surrounding population of... of um, They're just ethnically French or whatever. Or Spanish, right. That uh, they are... Um, they're just as their neighbors. But for a thousand years, were regarded as almost completely analogously to the untouchables. They were the untouchables of their own communities. They were relegated to a very specific and small number of what were considered dirty jobs, like being butchers and most commonly carpenters, which huh. I never thought of yeah, as I didn't a, know that was a low class job. A low job, but Cago were 
were largely a carpenter class of people doing, I guess, the dirty work of building other people's churches. They were sequestered or confined to Kago neighborhoods. They weren't allowed to take communion in the church in, in a normal fashion. They had their own low door toward the side of the church where they would come and communion. They had to like sneak in like a pet door? Like a pet door. It was doors that were low that sort of made them bow. Made them stoop. And they were given communion at the end of long wooden spoons. Whoa. But also they were forbidden to walk barefoot in the streets, which was a com- that was how uh, your normal European peasant, there weren't like good shoes for everybody. Right. But a cago had to cover their feet because they didn't want, people didn't want to the, touch the cobblestones that had been touched by cago. Ew. You couldn't touch a cago. Certainly you couldn't marry one. They, people, kind of, they sound like lepers, essentially, there. Well, and so in the record, right, the historic record is very garbled. There's no, it's not, there are a lot of commonality with the way leopards were treated and the way Kago were treated. And so f- the historians thought for a while maybe Kago were, were, separate, were a separate population that had suffered from leprosy, and that was why they had this tinge. It's a cultural memory of some long ago plague of some kind. But there are contemporaneous records that very clearly separated how lepers were treated from how Kago were treated. And it wasn't because Kago were lepers. They were treated like lepers, but for entirely different reasons. At the time it was understood that this was a different population. A completely different population. But they did have to, I, I see they had to shake a rattle like the way a leper would have to warn you that he was coming. Well, so lepers had to wear either bells or, or shake a rattle to, as they walked through the streets. Kago had a different, either if a leper had a rattle, then a Kago would wear a bell. But like their version of the yellow star that Jews were forced to wear mm-hmm. in the 20th century, um, they had to pin a goose's foot to the front of their shirt as their emblem. The emblem of the Kago was a goose foot. A goose foot is not a kind of herb, I assume. They're an actual foot from an actual goose. It's like not a rabbit's foot, which would be lucky, but a goose's foot. <laughs> this is foot bad luck. Is bad Here's luck. my bad luck charm. I'm going to rub my, rub my goose's foot. And this, the, this is an amazing mystery because, you know, maybe these are clues. If we study the origin of the goose's foot and the spoons and the cobblestone tradition and it says they can't touch the parapets of bridges. Like if we look at all these weird symptoms of this apartheid society, can we figure it out? What was the thing that, how did this start? What town meeting was this all decided at? There, there are as many theories as there were Kago, I think. Um, <laughs> there were, so at the time of the appearance of the Kago, which is about 1000 AD, there had recently been an awful lot of action in this territory, right? Um, the the caliphate, the Muslims had invaded Spain about 700 and had established like a Muslim empire down in Andalusia. Sure, the Moors. The Moors. Um, Spain had formerly been a Visigothic kingdom and the Visigoths were... Germans, German barbarians, I guess, that had come down and conquered Spain, and this was a, a, a Visigothic country. The Visigoths were in Spain pre-Moorish invasion, and the Moors kind of pushed them up and eventually out. But 
But the Basque region and what we think of as uh, like Aquitaine and Vasconia. I'm supposed to, there's supposed to be a region I think of as Aquitaine. <laughs> yeah. That's a very hopeful we. So well, Aqu- like Aquitaine as in Eleanor of Aquitaine, that's kind of that border region in Southwestern France. That's, that's more. Getting into the Pyrenees. Yeah. Down on the flats there in Southwestern France. I don't but think then, I knew that. But then the Pyrenees were sort of, uh, I guess, and, and, and one of the derivations of, or rather Basque is a derivation of this word Vasconia. Vascon which is the area in, in the Pyrenees there, Navarre, which became sort of the capital of, or was the big province of Basque centered around Pamplona. Mm. This was an area that was difficult for the, uh, the Visigoths to conquer. And it was difficult and the Moors never really made it past there. The Romans had a hard time. It's, it's the Albanian bunkers of Northern Spain. It really is. And so the Cago were occupying this same country there's some, there's some group back in the mists of time living there as well, but we don't know so, who or when or why, right? So one theory is that they were uh, descendants of, of Moors that had made it that far and then converted to Christianity. Oh, yeah. They went local. They, but they were... Colonel Kurtz's of, of the Moors. Yeah, they were still distinctive enough as a group of people that there became a kind of cultural memory of them. So there, there wasn't a way, there wasn't an identifying way that the Cago looked or any That's what I'm wondering. There's, no, there's no physical markers, for example. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout well in some very localized regions the cago were described as being darker than the local population. And so the suspicion was that they were Moors. But then in other, like... I wonder if that could be just some uh, retroactive decision that, um, you know, these people of a slightly darker tint are suspect. They must be, they must have Moorish blood. Right, but contemporaneously with this, in a different part of this region, the Cago were described as being blue-eyed and blonde. And that was how they were distinguished. <laughs> and it was thought that they were maybe descendants of the Visigoths who were seen by the uh, population that came after as somewhat a separate group. Um, so what seems important is more that they are outsiders of some kind, not us. And even whether or not it's too far north, too far south, too blonde, too dark. Someone else, yeah, right. The physical markers are not important. Cago might, the term Cago might be either the dogs of the Goths. Oh, Cago. Like, like canine and then Goth. Right. Or it could be 
that they are the murderers, the killers of the Goths. It's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard to know how the population at the time thought of themselves. Are they descendants of Goths? Are they descendants of, or of the opposite. Franks or the opposite? Yeah. Who are the outsiders and who are the insiders? Because that's something that's shifting a lot. Shifting a lot. And in 1200, there's not a ton of, of writing at the time that clarified it because I think even then it was unclear. Who were the Kago? Were the, the Kago were just known to be Kago. And it's, if you, it's self-explanatory. Right. Of course he's wearing a goose food. Goose food? <laughs> a goose food. Go, goose food? A goose foot? He's wearing a goose food because he's a Kago. He's a Kago. It, it's circular reasoning. That's right. And Kago wear goose foot. Goose feet. Um, it is, it's a thing that each town knew who the son of the the last Kago was, and so their son also was a Kago. Yeah, you, each generation only has to keep track of one thing. Right. Like, who was the last one? And that's, your, that's your job. <clears throat> there are distinctive Kago family names, but it's not like Basque. It's not in a separate language. And so it isn't just names. You couldn't look at somebody and say, oh, your name is Jennings. Well, you're a Kago. But, but, but that, that happened to me on all my college apps, by the way. I bet it did. Well, Jennings. that's why you got into, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I changed my name from uh, Wang to Jennings <laughs> on one of those sweet Kago scholarships. In order to, in order to uh, go to Brigham Young, you had to meet some quota, <laughs> some right. Kago quota. No, yeah. It's a uh, historically underprivileged people. And I wrote my essay about my, uh, my Kago ancestry. Didn't they have... Did they have webbed toes or is that made up? So they were, there were a lot of suggestions that the Kago were otherly, including that they bled green from their belly buttons on Lent. Wait, really? Yeah. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. No, no. Or it's, no. It's, it's not, it, they did not, in fact, they bleed didn't, green from They the... didn't actually, but that was one of the, that, that was one of the slurs. I love the idea that they might be like Catholic Vulcans. But the fact that they were forced to wear shoes or wear foot coverings and not walk barefoot in the town and wear goose f foot, goose feets, goose foots. Uh, pinned to their, their blouses began a, a slur that they actually had webbed toes. And uh, that was a way that you could tell Kego. It derives from the, the funny thing is now, you know, if there was a, if you had a marginalized people, you might tell them they were not allowed to wear shoes. That would be the marker of poverty. You know, right. Really, they were just ahead of the curb. But you know, like, Wearing shoes wasn't always the advantage, I guess. You know, you keep your, it's like the barefoot runners of today. They've realized that they're more connected it's, to the cobblestones. Their arches are in better shape. Or, right. Well, yeah, if shoes are all made of wood and they're awful, maybe it is a prize not to have to wear that. I mean, Converse All-Stars were not invented until the 12th century, so. Well, and the, and the really nicely padded Converse All-Stars weren't invented until very recently. Finally, they were like, what if it's not just a flat piece of, Rubber with the uh, canvas coming off of the side. You know, the All-Star was equivalent to having webbed feet in a way. You just kind of flap, flap, flap everywhere you go. I have flat feet and Conver like Converse All-Stars are so hard on my arches. Like the, the price of looking timelessly hip is, I'm in constant pain. <laughs> and yet you time. do, you wear them, don't you? I, I want something to wear on my uh, feet that say, uh, I had the first Buffalo Tom record. <laughs> and it's Converse All-Stars. Well, another uh, identifying characteristic of the Kago was that they didn't have earlobes. Wait, really? And or is this another web toe fake thing? This is another, uh, it's another web toe fake thing. Because it, they had cut off their earlobes and put them between their toes. It all comes together. Well, the lack of earlobes was due to the fact that I think they'd been bitten off by a mythical goose. 
<laughs> the uh, goose is mad. As someone, Every time you, if you see a goose coming and you've got a goose food on you, goose food, a goose food, a goose food on your clothes, you know, that's, that's like the mark of shame right there. You got to run. You know, I don't have earlobes. Uh, Wait, my, my, lift, up, lift up your, my ears just connect. Sure. There's two kinds of ears. The ones that actually, where something actually dangles below the level where the ear connects to the head. Right. Like mine, like a normal right, like person's. A, like a, yeah. And then there's the freak show kind. The freak show where, kind. Where it just kind of gradually f- flows into your neck, like a melted, uh, a melted Nazi head. Or, or you could say elf ears. Oh yeah, do Elves don't have the, because da- the dangling earlobes are kind of, um, you look like a rube. Yeah, because, you do. Because old people, Their ears they get growing. older and danglier. It becomes kind of a marker of being, I don't know, some kind of a yokel. Yeah, I like to think of your ears as being hobbit ears or, <laughs> or orc ears. And, and mine are wood, wood elf ears or high elf ears. Imagine trying to cast that movie and being like, I'm sorry, we're looking for a different type. Like you actually have a phenotype in mind. <laughs> Let's your see your actors. ears. Take your hat off. Oh, sorry. You're going to have to play an orc. That's a, the worst casting couch violation right there. Like, is, is that probably violates some kind of New Zealand law. Yeah. Let me touch your ears. Let oh, me no, look I'm closely sorry. at your ears. Like, that's, a, that's your genetic heritage. You shouldn't be disqualified from roles because of your, your lobe shape. Well, in the country where Cagot lived, it would be pretty easy to see if someone had an attached earlobe or not. So I don't think all Cagot had attached ears, although it is a genetic marker. And Cagot, because they were, because they were excluded from so much of civic life, they had to intermarry. And it's suspected there was a considerable amount of inbreeding within the community. So they could be getting, even if they weren't weird before, they're going to get web toes eventually. Oh, there's going to be... If the oceans rise in the future, the Kago are ready because they're getting webbed feet at the same rate as the sea levels rising. If you're predisposed to think that the Kago are a dirty people... Which I'm not. No, 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 I know you're not. Why would you think that? I know you're not. No, 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 no. You're one of the... You're you're only here because of the Dana law. I say woke things about the Kago on Twitter all the time. But let's say you were living in I was the one guy at Standing Rock with a Kago sign that was confusing (laughs) everyone. You had a Gus foot uh, (laughs) in solidarity pinned to your... (laughs) Pin to your tunic. (laughs) That's why I don't wear shoes. (laughs) We're all Kago. (laughs) But there was, there almost certainly were a lot of birth defects within the Kago community because of this forced interbreeding. And that would just confirm their otherness. Um, But it's the long con. It is the long con. If you start saying these guys are physically weird long enough and don't intermarry with them, it will come true. (laughs) Sometime in the, in the mid 1500s or early 1500s, the Cago put together a delegation. They said, we're tired of being persecuted. No one can even tell us why we're persecuted. (laughs) No one can tell us why we're born into this like terrible sort of mystery. And so we're going to take this case to Rome. And they, they sent a delegation to Pope Leo X, where they said, look, we're, no different from our neighbors. We're Hath no not a kego eyes and that's right. <laughs> well, not earlobes, but have not a kego not webbed toes, <laughs> goose feet. And they made a case to Pope Leo that their persecution was actually a result of having been connected to the Cathars, who were persecuted as heretics during the Albigensian Crusade. And this case that they were making to the Pope 
to actually connect themselves to a heretical yeah, doesn't, doesn't that make community. it worse? It would, except that within Catholic law, there was precedent for descendants of heretics to be tarred with the crime for a limited number of generations. Ah. So four generations later, your sin was washed away so by the So there's some time. Kenny Cago lawyer looking in canon law. That's right. And sees that there's one kind of a, a, a outcast status that comes with a, a sunset clause, comes with an end date, and is like, boys, now I've you're got, all Cathars. I've got, I've got our story. <laughs> and so they took it to Leo, and Leo bought into it. But we know that... Cagot long predated, the status of Cagot long predated the Albigensian. Oh, it's, a, it's a fiction. So it was a little bit of a, it was a ruse. But Leo did came. Did it work? It did. Leo came out with a papal bull that said, you know, the Cagot no longer have this stain. And you're, you know, you're liberated from whatever the, what would the word be? You're, uh, you're, you're now free of the curse. curse. Let's call it a curse. Not really a curse. Does, uh, does he have enough swing? Like back then, before modern communication, if the Pope says something in Rome, does it matter in the mountains of northern Spain? It did not. Uh, and the people... Um, they, the, come, they come back all hopeful with their document. Right. And they some, were like, look, we're free. And some small town sheriff with a, with a chaw in his cheek takes it and rips it up. That's exactly what oh, happened. Man. So it, it began a period of a fairly long period in the relationship of the Cago to the regional population where... As you went further up the chain, the administrators, the local gentry, the national government, if if such a thing existed in, in whatever region it was that were that the Cago sort of were contending, uh, those authorities ended up being pro-Cago, or at least uh, in their in the laws of the land, discrimination against the Cago was prohibited, or at least not endorsed. Maybe because they were more familiar with or reliant on the papal ruling. Right. And, and also, I think it was just a case of the more education you had, <laughs> the more sophistication you had. You, I mean, and, You'd just be like, these dumb hillbillies. You're right. And multiple, multiple, multiple people, even in their time, uh, tried to research whatever the stain on the Cago was and could never find an explanation. Early uh, anthropologists or people that were, you know, looking into these stories... Mm -hmm could never get a convincing explanation. It was all, as you say, like he's got a goose foot on, therefore he's a cago, or his grandfather had a goose foot. It really could just be one thing, right? There could have been one awful family that everybody hated because they rooked people in business or they were too good at business and put other people out of business or like it could be anything and then that sticks around. That's right. right. And one, one of the suggestions was that because they were all carpenters typically or they practiced carpentry, that it actually began as a guild, that there was a guild of carpenters and somehow they ran afoul of the local population. And then everyone that was a carpenter became a cago. By and association? Yeah. And then Cagosiation. no one would practice carpentry except the sons of prior carpenters. And pretty soon you had a situation where they became, they were, they were thought to be a racial group. Um, by the time of the French Revolution, there was a, cl a pretty clear urban sense that the Cagot were unfairly persecuted. And a lot of Cagot would leave the region and emigrate to Paris. Because you go literally anywhere else and nobody cares because it's, a, it's an illusion. It's That's not like right. being Jewish or, or, or black. 
you you're just a you're a French person. You become a you become a normal French person if you get away from the eighty people who know to hate you. But the and well, I mean, we're talking about a large population of Cagot spread across a very large region, a very populous region, right? So, sure, this but is, if, if you move villages, your Cagonus does not follow you, right? With, take off the goose food once you're out of uh, within the shot. within the region there of um, Navarre or, or the sort of Pyrenees region, it would follow you because there was enough cultural commonality that you know maybe you'd move to a town and you'd be like, "Hello, I'm just a normal person." Hello, fellow non-Cago. And then someone would come along and or the Cago would recognize you because there were cultural practices exclusive to the Cago. It's just that the, they weren't widely written down. We don't really know what the culture of the Cago was, but certainly their many, many centuries of exclusion created a, a secret internal culture. It just didn't make it into the records. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. And I assume that um, any possible explanations we have for the origin of their status might be colored by later people trying to explain some kind of weird ancestral Bigotry, because we see that in the West. We see that in a, you know, as recently as the 20th century, you still had different social and religious groups trying to create justifications for why, you know, people of color, African Americans should be treated differently, for example, you know, make up some biblical justification for it or, uh, you know, some pseudoscientific justification for it. So it's something you see with almost any kind of bigotry is these kind of post hoc reasons why it's okay. But the flip side of that is that groups that are truly excluded and are kind of like visibly members of the group or they can, they can never assimilate, yeah. they also create a, a, a pride within the group, right? There's a, mm. there's a sense of a unified culture. Even the Jews that remained in Spain post-Inquisition who practiced Catholicism publicly but retained their own Judaic practice in secret, they had their own culture there and a, and a certain amount of cultural pride. But the Kago never, they, they did not survive. It, it's kind of quizzical because they did survive into modern times and the prejudice against them survived. But it wasn't such that they ever developed a feeling of group pride. And so a lot of their culture doesn't survive because no Kago ever said, this is the way the Kago play the guitar, and we're finally standing up to you people because Kago pride. Probably because the boundaries of an explanation and origins of the group are so nebulous and, and unknown, right? Like, 
You'd have, you'd have to essentially invent stuff. Well, but also the slur against them was so ugly. Like the cagots are truly the untouchables of Europe. It isn't just like you can say there are a thousand slurs against the Jews, but also they were canny business people in Europe or they took over a sector of money lending and banking that allowed them to assimilate while retaining their group identity. There were a lot of prohibitions on Jews, but also in Berlin in the 18th century, there were vibrant Jewish communities that had that had prominent citizens of their own. Uh, in the case of the Cagots, there was at one point, um, I mean, as, as late as the 18th century, a, a um, Cagot business person who had actually become fairly wealthy for a Cagot dared to touch a, um, touch the communion font, what was, uh, touch the holy water, the holy water. and uh, had his hand cut off and nailed to the door <laughs> as a sign that no kego, no matter how successful or wealthy, should ever like touch a vessel that a normal person intended to drink from. So there was no route. And because this was confined to this mountainous and inaccessible region and this kind of deeply rural and in, in other ways exclusive world, because the Basques who at varying times and varying degrees controlled this region and it was already kind of thought of as a separate place. Yeah. Uh, the Basques weren't famously um, discriminatory toward the Cago. It really was their their Spanish and French neighbors more than the Basques. But this was, you know, it was a separate and ex and um, remote region. Uh, hard to believe that any place in the center of Europe could be thought of as a remote region. But there are numerous remote regions even within Europe. It was, it was retained within the local culture, the, the culture with a small C, and was very resistant to outside. They were resistant to the cago being liberated from outside. Um, yeah, so, yeah, because they're isolated, there's less outside influence, right. less outside shaming, no equivalent of freedom riders coming down from France and being like, hey, be nice to the go once you right. stop cutting off their hands. Don't come down here to, uh, to <laughs> tell us how we parodies. treat our cagos. <laughs> Y'all coming from Chicago. Uh, so during the French Revolution, you know, the French Revolution uh, tried to eliminate the clergy, tried to bring science and reason into modern French life and eliminate a lot of old, old suspicions and old um, superstitions. And so there was then a, a real movement to liberate the Cago. And from that point on, there was no longer any official endorsement of it, it, but it was retained as a regional culture despite all attempts from the national government and from national institutions local and local citizens of note. The discrimination against the Cagos persisted and persisted all the way into the 20th century. Huh. There were still Cago living in sort of, uh, I guess what you would call a Cago ghetto on the malarial side of the river in a lot of the towns. Cagoteries, the, they, they, they called Cagoteries. Their, their little ghettos. But Cago definitely emigrated to America if the opportunity presented itself. They left for Paris as the world became more metropolitan. They tried to escape their... Um, 
their terrible birthright. Yeah, their birthright. And because they were indistinguishable in every other respect. This is super easy. As soon as they arrived in New York City, they were... Ellis Island had big trash cans just full of goose feet. (laughs) Um, And they they were Roman Catholics. And now, with the advent of DNA testing, there was quite a bit of attempt to discern if there was any actual difference in any way between the Cago, the remaining people you could, you could find that would admit to being Cago. Yeah. And the, cause they have family lore. They, they, they might've heard stories of, even if it doesn't affect their lives anymore. Right. You can look back in your history as a Spaniard or French person and just see how many of your ancestors were carpenters. Yeah. And, realize pretty quickly that you are descendant from Kego. And is there a genetic uh, marker? Do None. we know if there's a Kegromosome? None. Even with all of what we presume to be the, the inbreeding that came as a result of that exclusion, uh, they are not genetically distinct at all. Whereas the Basques definitely are. Sure. So what we have is a seemingly an arbitrary and even illusory marker for social division and bigotry. And it's, it's funny to me. It's almost like a, a, like a Dr. Seuss book that's been designed to teach, to show children that prejudice is silly and arbitrary, you know, like. It's a star-bellied sneech. They're the star-bellied sneeches of the Pyrenees, right? Like, because clearly there's, there's no way to, to demonstrate any kind of basis for the prejudice. It seems completely made up, or at least whatever the justification, this has been forgotten. And yet it survives for a thousand years on the strength of nothing more than it being hard to legislate bad feelings out of people's hearts. I mean, astonishing that you could be a separate class of people strictly on the basis of the people in your town remember who your dad was. <laughs> right. Because even the Dalit in India typically are much darker complected than the than the higher castes, right? The castes in India do have a sort of complexion gradient that goes along with it. I had a friend that showed me an Indian singles website once, and the, the word is wheatish. That's what you're looking for. Wheatish? Women of wheatish skin. Oh, that's wheatish. Like the color of wheat. I see. Uh, that's not Swedish. It's, and that's kind of the, uh, that's the marker or the uh, euphemism or whatever you would say for. Being high caste. Nice light-skinned girl, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, you know, all that made you a cago was just the, the memory <laughs> of your to, town. People used to point at your dad and... And yet you were treated so poorly. It's astonishing that every Kego didn't just put their clothes on their back and, and try and get as far away. I mean, even if you made it to Marseille or Bar- Barcelona. It does show how you inter- yeah, that kind of stuff gets internalized in a community. Like, yeah, I really am lousy and I'm just going to stay here and be the worst because I deserve it. Yeah. There is now a woman who I guess claims to be the last remaining Kego. Um, she did some research, realized that all of her ancestors were had carpenters ears. and had, had webbed ears, right? <laughs> she found a drawer with a bunch of uh, <laughs> goose feets in it and said, wait a minute. And she sort of came forward and said, you know, I'm not afraid to identify myself as a, as a Cago. Finally, Cago power salute. And she... Her name is Marie Pierre. Uh, she lives in the Pyrenees and felt that enough of the stigma had passed. There were so few people who were still alive that had any, you know, direct memory of the Cago 
that um, that she could step forward and say like, she, she's going to take a shot at reclaiming it. Yeah, I'm a member of this interesting group. But when reporters asked if they could take a photo of her with her daughters, she said, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm I'm the last cargo. That's right. <laughs> I don't I don't want their, uh, any of this tarnish to pass to them." Jeez. Well, you cargo girl. And that concludes the cargo entry one seven three dot two K zero five two seven. Certificate number 28287 in the omnibus. Speaking of stains that we pass along to our descendants, we sincerely hope that social media does not trouble your time, futurelings, as it does today. Let this be a warning to you. If, not, if you get nothing else out of this entire research project, please know that uh, you know, wasting your time in front of a series of virtual friendships and relationships just is toxic to the brain and to us as civilization. But... In our day, John and I were products of our time. Please forgive us for our sins. Please forgive us for being at Omnibus Project on every social media platform under the sun, on being at John Roderick on Twitter and Instagram. Sorry, at John Roderick on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you. And at Ken Jennings on Twitter. Uh, we received email at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com and encouraged like-minded enthusiasts to gather and interact and talk about, uh, what are they talking about today? Loud noises and children's detective novels uh, on the Futurelings fan page. Yeah, what's the loudest noise you've ever heard is one of the topics that I, I saw this morning. Um, I had forgotten until somebody mentioned lightning. I'd forgotten that lightning once struck a tree right outside my 10th grade chemistry classroom and just scared the hell out of everyone, including the teacher who I thought was going to. Really? I thought the teacher was done for. She just screamed. Um, I uh, I was outside uh, uh, near the Arctic Circle uh, when I was working on a gold mine there, and are you Scrooge McDuck? And I got that explains uh, the Scottish uh, the Scottish accent. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> I, uh, I I was caught in a lightning storm out on a dirt road and ended up diving into the ditch on the other on the on the side of this road because lightning was striking the ground all around like me. multiple strikes around you and Jeez. throwing dirt clods into the air. That's God. And it was terrifying. That is God saying, John Roderick, change your ways. I felt like I was being shelled. You're pronouncing your last name pretentiously. Just say Roderick. But you didn't get the <laughs> you didn't get the divine message. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we also received uh, physical mail when people had uh, artifacts of different varieties to send us at uh, Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Futurelings. Deep troubled sigh. We hope that in the future you escape any kind of social blemish on whatever the... Whatever your mutation is. Whatever your mutation is. From the is. Great Atomic Wars. Whatever your mutation is from listening to Omnibus. Really? Because it, what, what parts of your body can become webbed from listening to a podcast? I don't know if it will create a physical deformity, but I think the twinkle in their eyes... <laughs> From learning so much about 21st century culture will be evident to the, their dead-eyed peers. The slightly larger cerebral cortex will be uh, immediately noticeable to any phrenologist. Yeah, as they're, as they're all blobbing around their intergalactic senate, um, one, one person will start to, to offer a more nuanced take on legislation of the day, and they'll be immediately branded a heretic. So we're creating the new untouchable class, podcast right. listeners. Then, then the the uh, the sergeant at arms will search their podcatcher and say, <laughs> "You've been listening to those heretics." 
Jennings and Roderick. No, get them. And, get all, the, them. and all the dollopites and the rest of the Senate <laughs> will drag them out. But uh, we hope that that doesn't come to pass. We hope that you are able to conceal your enlightened state from your uh, dull-witted peers. Keep your goose foot in your underpants so no one can see it. That's right. Put a little tack in your sock, and every time you think to laugh uproariously or even show any mirthful appreciation of your time, just step on that pin, and and then your face will return to its natural grimace. This is a pretty good merchandising idea, by the way. Some kind of little button or pin that looks like a goose goose food and says goose food. Like a little goose food. It just says goose food. I don't know if it says goose food or future laying or what, but... Um, we hope and pray that whatever catastrophe it is that befalls our time never comes and that you futurelings are just slightly evolved versions of ourselves that look just, just a little bit closer to the grays, but not so much closer that your, your legs can't hold you up under earth gravity. You don't scare women. You just have, uh, wide eyes. Yeah. Big wide eyes and big heads, smart Del- brains. Delicate wrists. Um, and then you have wheat-colored hair. <laughs> we hope you're all wheatish. Uh, but if the worst comes soon, which is to say that we're all wiped off of the face of the earth and this podcast is being broadcast just to Terminator bots. Like if this fighter plane that's going above us, the bunker right now, is actually about this to... This is it. Is actually about to... If this is it, if, this is the, if the civil defense sirens begin right now... Oh, you know, when I was a when I was a kid growing up in Anchorage, they still scrambled jets all the time to intercept Soviet bombers, and every time the jets scrambled because they hit full afterburner right in the center of town, you know, it just shakes windows all over Anchorage. Uh, every time it was like, "Is this it? Like, do I need to do I need to do my homework, or should I just wait forty minutes?" I assume on the third time, people just start shrugging and continue their grocery shopping. Like, you know, you, you can't, you just can't panic about the end of the world every day. I think grown-ups probably did, but when you're 10 years old, mm. no one ever pats you on the head and says, it's all just a game, sweetheart. Like, they, every Friday at noon, they would sound the air raid siren for a full minute. And not a drill, because somebody was actually on the way? No, it was every Friday, just as a test. Oh, it was a drill. But it was citywide. So whatever you were doing, you had to stop and just listen to this siren that sounded like I mean, that, those sirens sound like doomsday. That's pretty intense, Anchorage. And there's one of them right by your house. Right by your house, there's a big siren Seattle, on a yep. tower. It's still there. The last one, I think, in the city. Thank you for doxing me to the future. <laughs> there's only one in the city, and I live right near. That's helpful. <laughs> so if you want to go to any of the cafes that neighbor that one siren, <laughs> just wait around. Ken will come in eventually. <laughs> he can't wait to see you. He hopes to see you there. Anyway, if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs> <laughs>